Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Passing the Baton, and we'll be looking at the basics of one-to-one discipleship and how to get started on a new adventure of helping younger believers grow up in their faith. You'll never be the same. The title of our message tonight is Passing the Baton, uh, or in the series, Passing the Baton, and the title of tonight's talk is Born to Reproduce. Born to Reproduce. And I just want to encourage you tonight to be willing to let God speak to you personally tonight. Uh, to be open, to say, God, if you have something to tell me tonight, I, I want to hear it. I want to have open ears and not react, but just be, be ready to take that and then think about it. Just like Mary did when the angel, when all these different things happened. Mary said she, she took these things and she pondered them in her heart. Okay? The greatest thing in the world is to know Jesus Christ. How many people have come to know Jesus Christ in here? Isn't that wonderful? And he needs to be the center. We're not a Bible-centered religion. We're not a building-centered religion. We're not a person-centered religion. We want to have lives that are centered around a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he is the one that we're worshiping and glorifying and enjoying. But one of the ways that we worship him and glorify him and enjoy him is we pass on the baton. We pass on to the next generation Christianity. I mean, just think about it. There's a saying in Spanish, in a hundred years we'll all be bald. It means dead, uh, but a little macabre. But, but in a hundred years, even the youngest person in this room won't be here. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And how is it that in the ne- there will be vibrant Christians living a hundred years from now? It's if people like you and me have the vision to pass the baton, to pass it on to others. Uh, God's plan is to use people to reach people and to help people grow up. Our church's motto is what? begins with C. Capturing and cultivating hearts for Christ. Capturing and cultivating. Now, how is that supposed to happen? Oh, we pay professionals to do that. We wouldn't just anybody let anybody rush out there and capture or cultivate a heart for Christ. It's very touchy. It's like heart surgery, you know, so you would, you would just pick someone very highly trained. Uh, is that really the way God meant for it? Dawson Trotman once said, it's the sheep that are to bear the lambs, not the shepherd. And a lot of times in the church, we get that mixed up. And we say, well, we hired the shepherd, and he should have the baby lambs. He should bear the lambs. So we want to talk about uh, this capturing and cultivating hearts, passing the baton, bringing people to Christ, and helping them grow. I wonder tonight if you are involved in doing that personally. And during these uh, weeks, we, we'll get to some practical suggestions, but before that, we want to be clear on what's the big idea. What, what even are we talking about? And we'll talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about how, to, how do you help people in the basics of the Christian life. 
what are the basics of the Christian life? Well, every Christian who's really has come to know the Lord wants to know what does God want me to do? They want to know what do they do with that big black or blue or red book that's called the Bible? They want to be able to talk to God. They hear other people talk to God and they think, well, I, I hope they never call on me, you know. <laughs> I'll have a heart attack. And the Bible, they maybe tried a couple of times and that didn't go so well. They've heard that people, it'd be a good idea to share your faith, but they are, don't have a clue as to what they'd say. And a lot of times as far as fellowship, their relationships aren't that deep. All these different areas where they, any true Christian is going to have a, a longing to be a successful Christian. I mean, you don't have to be head of the class, you know. You don't have to graduate valedictorian or anything, but you at least want to be functioning in the basics of the Christian life. And a lot of times people have a hard time figuring that out by themselves. Well, let's go back in time. Uh, point one is the original challenge. What What is it that we have been called to do? The original challenge, some have called it the Great Commission. Uh, others have called it the great omission. It's uh, the main thing we don't do, but that we ought to be doing. Uh, first, uh, we see in the example of Jesus, uh, what he just showed us by his own life. He chose 12 that they might be with him. That, that verse in Mark 3, 14 and 15. He appointed 12. Oh, well, he had thousands to pick from. Wasn't very greedy, was he? I mean, maybe 100, and that'd be even better. A thousand out of the five thousand. You know, you want to be a little selective, but uh, he's just twelve. So few. Why did he choose twelve? That they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus showed by his example the importance of focusing on a few individuals and helping them grow in their understanding and getting to know God, capturing and cultivating hearts for Christ. And at the end. That little group was all he had. Everybody else had disappeared. Secondly, we see under this, the original challenge, uh, the command of Jesus. Jesus didn't do that and just say, well, watch me, but don't, don't try to do this at home. You know, this is just too dangerous. This is something just the Son of God is supposed to do. And we see also the command of Jesus, and this is actually called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Can anyone quote that for us, or, or more or less? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so Jesus passes on this command to his followers. And he says, I want you to go make disciples. And, and what do you think came to their mind when they heard that? Exactly what had Jesus had done with them. What else... How else could they possibly have understood it? They didn't think, well, Jesus did this with us. He called us and we went around with him and stuff. But now what we're supposed to do is build buildings and, and make seminars where we send a few people off. They get trained, come back. We build a building nice and big. We cram people in it and we get this paid guy to speak to them. Do you think they could possibly have come up with that from what Jesus said and what Jesus had done? No, they were going to do exactly what Jesus had done with them. They were also going to choose some men and have an influence on their lives personally, as well as minister to the multitude. And what were they to teach these disciples? They were to teach the disciples to observe all that he had commanded them, which included, go make disciples of all the nations. That's why we're here tonight. 
I mean, if just the 12 or the 11 had done that, and, and they said, but don't do any, no, none of you do this. We're the professionals. We should do this, but not you. Christianity would have died out. It's that in each generation, a new generation of normal people take up the challenge to pass on the baton to their children, to their friends, to people they meet in church, where, where however God leads. The command of Jesus. We also see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. In his example, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, And we proclaim him. Who do you guess the him is? Not Baal. <laughs> the verse before says, It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's referring back to that. We proclaim Christ. I was talking with Pastor Dan Ratcher today, and he said, I said, well, what's your vision, what's y'all's vision for the church? He says, we have three Ps. Proclaim Christ, uh, prepare people to labor for Him, and to pour out God's love in our community. That's pretty good, isn't it? But the very first one was, we proclaim Christ. Now, are you doing that? Well, my church does. I pay for them to do that. I, I pay a professional fisherman. And we just herd people in or let, let people come in, because I mean, maybe, maybe we don't usually bring people, but we're kind of hoping they'll show up. And then we have a paid fisherman up there. He's casts, you know, sees if he gets any during the morning worship services. If it doesn't work, then maybe they'll come back next week. But the example of Paul is, is that we're to be proclaiming him, admonishing every man or warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every person complete in Christ. Think about that. He says, I do three things. He says, I want to let people know that this is not the only life. In other words, I want to share Christ with them to the degree that's possible. I spoke with uh, someone, a relative over Christmas, who's maybe uh, one of our less spiritual relatives, hadn't been to church in 45 years, and, and has a serious health issue. And so I talked with him about that, and God had already been kind of speaking to me about not being so put it off or not bring up the subject or insecure. <laughs> I'm very insecure. Sure you're not, but I am. And, and, uh, and, and it was a big setting where, so there were 30 people in the room. But I went, I was going with a different attitude this time. And so I said, well, have these physical trials gotten you thinking at all about eternity and where you are with God? And he says, oh, well, I, I've been thinking. He says, I've got a lot of problems with this whole idea about God. I said, oh, really? Yeah, he said, people believed in God long before there was Jesus and stuff like that. He says, all this thing about the Ten Commandments, too. I don't, I don't agree with that. And, and uh, I said, well, you know, no one becomes a Christian because they get all their questions answered. That's not really what it's about. And he said, yeah, when he was a child, his parents used to send him to Sunday school. And at the Sunday school, they wouldn't go. They weren't Christians. They said the Sunday school would ring the bell at quarter to ten to call him to Sunday school. And then again at 5 till 10 to tell him it's about to start. And after getting to share with him a little bit about the gospel and stuff, I said, I said his name and I said, you know, God's ringing that bell again. It's time for you to come home. Now, he may die in the next year. But what greater privilege do you and I have than to bring up the subject? Maybe, they, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe they're not interested. But let them say it. Don't say it for them. Don't say in your heart, oh, well, they're probably not interested. I won't say anything. Uh, him we proclaim, warning every person. But uh, it doesn't just stop there. He says we're not just going to bring people to the feet of the, 
of, of Christ and then just leave them there. I mean, what did they know? Poor little thing. They just came in the door and we said, see you later. He says, no, we warn every person. Then every person that responds, we teach every person how much. He says, well, I'll tell you, tell you how much. He says, uh, we teach every person with all wisdom so that we could present every single person completely grown up in Jesus Christ. Now, is that an ambitious goal? Paul doesn't say that's what we're doing. I mean, the whole church, he's talking kind of about himself and his little band. But that's a big goal. I mean, we would feel like it was a big goal if we just had that goal for Northeast Columbia. Oh, wow. That, how about all of Columbia? South Carolina, good grief, you know. Uh, the eastern seaboard of the United States, the whole United States, the whole western hemisphere. That's what our church is shooting for. We want to share the gospel with every person in the western hemisphere and then disciple everyone that responds until they're completely grown up in Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's too small of a goal. He says, it's the whole world. Every person on the face of the earth that's alive right now, that's our goal. We better get hurried because they're dying every day. And then look at, the, if you open to it, the next uh, verse is, And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power that mightily works within me. He says, I'm giving it everything I've got, and God's pouring out everything he's got in me to do this. The example of Paul. But then we also see the command of Paul in 2 Timothy 2, that you've, I'm sure, heard before, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me, write them down in your notebook and don't tell anybody. No, that's not what he says. He says, and the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When you entrust something to somebody, if I say I'm going to entrust my uh, my knife. I'm going to entrust my knife to uh, David. No, that's not entrusting my knife to him. Entrusting has the idea that it's something precious, fragile, breakable, and you carefully hold it and you make sure that when they put it in their hand, it doesn't fall to the ground. That's entrusting. And he says, the things that I've told you, I want you to consciously, intentionally entrust to others who can then do what? Pass it on to others. Some people think, well, you shouldn't try to intentionally help anybody. I mean, who are you, you know? I mean, maybe maybe it will just happen, you know, but you won't notice it, you know, because that's part of being humble. And you just go through life, and you're just thinking that maybe somehow, some way, it's just going to happen. Paul says, no, make it happen. Be intentional. The things you've heard from me, entrust those, not just to anybody, to faithful people people that will receive it. God doesn't tell you you have to talk hours at length with people that don't want to talk to you. He says there are people that are ready, but you've never initiated. Those of you that have children, they're ready in their own way, but you have to initiate. You can't sit around waiting for, well, maybe my child will come and ask me. Well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But in the meanwhile, entrust these things that God has given you. So we see the example of Jesus, the command of Jesus, the example of Paul, the command of Paul. That was 2,000 years ago, and that's what he told us to do. By his example, by his commands, he says, Jesus' last words should be our first concern. Well, let's look at the current situation, point two. How, how are we doing? 
This is what Jesus has told us to do. It's for every, every believer to have an influence and an impact on other lives for Jesus Christ. Maybe not, not as a seminary guy or a pastor or anything like that. Every person will be different. But nevertheless, that's his plan, is that each person would have some contribution in the Great Commission. You are meant to be a stockholder in this enterprise and an active participant. He wasn't trying to recruit fans up in the bleachers and get a couple of pros down there. Oh, well, they're making disciples down there. Oh, aren't they doing a great job? Let's just give them a hand. You know? He says, no. He says, God's up there saying, hey, you up there in the bleacher. Yeah, yeah, you. He says, come down here. Get on the field. Pass him the ball. He says, yeah, I can't. See. Pass him the ball. You've got a job to do. You've got to pass the baton. There are lives that your life can intersect with and touch that others can't. And God's call is on your life. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? I came to Christ 36 years ago almost. It'll be this October, it'll be 36 years. I was running from God. I was running from religion. Well, I didn't even think there was a God. So I was running from religion that uh, was boring to me. And I went off to my last year of high school and... Somebody invited me to this youth group and a minister's house, and I thought, oh, it's bad enough, i got to go on Sundays. They're going to do it in the middle of the week, too, mess up the middle of the week? But this guy was so nice who invited me. and So, I mean, I wasn't a mean person. I just was non not wanting to be religious. So I thought, well, I'll go once, and it'll be as awful as I'm sure it will be. And then I won't go, but I'll have a reason to tell him next time. I went once. And I went, and they were all singing and and clapping, and I felt so horribly out of place. And then the minister got up and shared some stuff out of the Bible. I don't remember getting anything out of that. And then they sent us into different rooms, and I found myself in the kitchen and with a group of seven or eight people, and they all held hands. I thought, this is getting weirder by the moment. <laughs> and they closed their eyes and bowed their heads, and one of them prayed. And I thought, I got it. They're praying. And then the next one prayed, and the next one prayed, and the next one... I could tell by the voices, it's coming my way, to my horror, you know. I was raised in a church that uh, they didn't make you invent things. It was all the approved from heaven prayers and everything was in a book, handy book, and as long as you could read, you were fine. I had no book. I was held by the hands. I couldn't escape. <laughs> so I rapidly tried to piece together everything I'd ever thought of saying to a deity, and... Uh, and, and got out about 15, 20 seconds, and then oh, the next person prayed, the next person prayed, and I thought, oh gosh, it's coming again. You know, <laughs> so I sweated my way through that, but that, that was a seeing, uh, about three weeks later, looking up at the ceiling, I said, God, maybe you are there. If you are, I'd really like to know you. And I had the most wonderful year there uh, at that uh, little church in Alabama, and we, we met maybe 20 hours a week. And they're the ones that warned me and proclaimed Christ to me and brought me to Christ. There's that, that first part of what Paul said. We proclaim him warning every man and teaching every man. So they were great at warning. They weren't as helpful in terms of uh, teaching me about the basics of the Christian life. When I say the basics, I don't mean so much the doctrines. You, you get that in church and stuff. But, but during the week, when I wasn't at the church and in the meetings, I thought, well, what do I do now? Uh, I mean, I figured out I wasn't to be cursing, so I, you know, kind of got that figured out on my own. I was in a military school. It was a big deal. And I thought, well, I guess I got this Bible. I guess I ought to read it. So I tried to do that. That went all right. And, 
I thought, well, maybe I should memorize a verse. I tried that. That didn't go too well. Well, I should talk to people about my faith. Well, I, but I couldn't figure out what to say. I'd talk anyway, but it was very frustrating. And so at the end of that year, I was, I was happy, delighted to be a Christian, but I didn't feel like I was doing very well. I didn't even know exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So then I went off to college, and the second week I heard a knock on the door, and two guys came in and said, we're, we're out talking with people about Jesus Christ. Want to know if you'd like to talk? I said, I've been looking for you guys. I mean, I've been around the different... I'd gone to the Presbyterian Student Center and met my first atheist, and um, was, that was the, the year before the PCA was formed, <laughs> long before uh, Reform University Fellowship. And so the, these two guys from a group called the Navigators came in and shared an illustration called The Wheel on the basics of the Christian life with Christ in the center and the word and prayer and fellowship and witnessing and obedience. And he, and he quoted about 12 verses. Might as well have been half the Bible for all I was concerned. And uh, I was just sort of in awe, you know. I thought, how did he do that? And uh, I talked to him about it, and he says, well, I'd be happy to meet with you. He met with me for the next two years, just him and me. We'd meet there on campus and study the Bible. And one day he opened his Bible and turned around. And he says, "Would you? I'm trying to get this down. Would you help me with this? And he proceeded to quote all of Proverbs 2. He's, I'm sure he's forgotten that he ever did some of those things with me. I've never forgotten. They're just tattooed on my mind, you know. The impact just of a, one life on another. And that is passing the baton. It's a very simple thing. It's not, a, it's not really a big deal in one sense. And yet it's the biggest deal there is. One person helping another with things that have helped them in terms of living the Christian life. And then after that time of discipleship, uh, there were other people that God used in my life for, for mentoring me, counseling me, coaching me in different things. So it's not so, I'm not talking about just leading people to Christ or just helping them in the basis of the Christian life or just uh, coaching or mentoring or counseling. When we talk about passing the baton, it includes all of those. But what we're going to focus on in, the, in this class, in these weeks, is that middle section, how can you and I help people feel better about their Christian life? do better in the in the basics that they already want to be doing well in, but it's not going that well. So this may have two outcomes in your life. It, uh, it could be that you feel like you're just, God's blessed you and helped you and encouraged you. Maybe you've had somebody to disciple you. So there are a lot of things that are, that are going okay in your life. I mean, you still struggle with sin and stuff like that, but you come to understand kind of what, what it means to live the Christian life, and you're living it. And so the outcome for you will be to ask, uh, am I doing what I could to pass that on to somebody else? And I include, of course, our families in this. I don't mean just, you know, some stranger off the street. You're already in touch with most of the people that God would want you to do anything with, um, but needing to take that first step. But the second outcome might be, as we go over what are the things to grow in, you might think, well, wow, I, I need to be in the class. I, I, I need to, somebody to do that with me first. And that's a great outcome, too. Can I share that, your first experience, Wendy? Wendy went to a Navigator conference and went to a workshop on how to disciple others. And as they explained, well, what is a disciple and how do you do that, she realized, huh, I'm not a disciple. And she came out of the class weeping, thinking, how I can't disciple anybody. I'm not even a disciple yet. And uh, a girl met with her for a couple of years and uh, helped disciple her. And by the time I met Wendy, she was already helping others. So that might be an, another outcome 
uh, might be God will use this just to give you an idea of some other things that will help you in your own life, and then later on with the vision of, of passing that on to others. I wonder how many of you feel like you had someone to invest in you personally. It's hard to conceive of what would that look like, you doing that with somebody else if no one ever did it with you. Many people feel like they're orphans, that they were raised in Christian daycare, that uh, people were happy to enroll them in the church as members and, uh, and herd them into large spaces and have someone to watch over them or teach them. But they, uh, and maybe even some people knew them by name, but n many people don't feel like they ever had anyone to address basic areas of Christianity with them just to try to be helpful. Uh, have you ever read your Bible? How's that going? How, how is your prayer life going? Have you ever been able to share your faith with anyone? Can I, maybe we could get together and I could show you some things that have helped me. And I don't feel like I'm very good at it, but I'd be happy to, you know, just come alongside you to take that time with you as an individual. Like I said before, the church, institutional church, uh, sometimes inadvertently has communicated to us that what we're about is building boxes and filling them with people and activities. But Jesus told us to go make disciples. Now, what are some of the hindrances? You know, as we think, well, why? If Jesus was pretty clear, I mean, this isn't something that you had to have a university or even a high school degree to get. Go make disciples. Pretty brief. We get the language. Jesus showed us what making disciples look like, so we know what the definition is. But yet, we go to church after church, and very few churches is it a predominant characteristic. And I thought about that. I think one of the reasons is we uh, could be the formality, the ritualism. We get the kind of things set up, and uh, you every church and every Tradition has their way of doing things, and you just do all of that, and you think, well, we, we did it. Christmas can be kind of like that, can it, you know? Oh, here we go again. Get out the stockings, and get up the wreaths, and all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> run, 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 eat, 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 <laughs> crash. It's over, you know, and everybody's always talking about, yeah, but wasn't this about Jesus or something, you know? <laughs> and sometimes as a church, as churches, uh, we're like that. We, we have so many things set up that we do everything except the one thing he told us to do while he was gone. Uh, you'd be upset with your children if they did that. He says, the one thing I want you to do while I'm gone, and they do everything but that. You think, hello? You know, I only told you one thing. Second thing is, uh, it's too much work. I think some people think, uh, we'd rather get in a hundred people and teach them. We don't want this one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, who's got time to do that? Taking that much time with one person? I mean, that guy that met with me every week for two years, he went on to get a seminary degree, missionary in Japan, and teaches out at CIU now. Somebody of that caliber having time, taking that amount of time just to meet with measly old me? Third reason is uh, that we don't value the individual. We like big numbers, groups, movement, action, lights. Fourth, vulnerability. It's a little uncomfortable to uh, get close to somebody because uh, they might find out stuff, you know. They will find out stuff. They happen to pop by your house someday. Oh, no, you know, warn me next time. Different things will come up. I don't know if I want to have anybody know me that way. 
Another big hindrance is there are plenty of people that really would like to do that if the Lord would want to do that through them. They just don't know how. I, I don't know. How do you get somebody? How do you get started? Then what do you do? I mean, I can just imagine sitting across from this person. They've got, I've gotten their expectations up, and I have no clue what I'm doing. And six, uh, church tends to be reactive, not proactive. We tend to be full of firemen, not farmers. And so we're just waiting for the alarm to go off. Oh, somebody's marriage is in trouble. Ding, 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 ding. This child needs a, a cracker. Or the, the ushers uh, would now come forward to take up the offering. It's, it's all needs come up in situations where we've got to have a service coming up, so we've got to do this and that. It's reactive rather than proactive. Proactive is thinking he's told us to make disciples. So what do we need to do to make disciples? What is it that we need to, to help people with so that we will maybe prevent some of these problems eventually happening? I mean, if a person really falls in love with God and walks with him, isn't it logical that their marriage will go better? Their parenting will go better? Their job will go better? Yep. But if we don't help them, well, it won't go so well, and then we're putting out fires. He lost his job, his children are in rebellion, his wife is frustrated and thinking about leaving him. Well, but did we do the work up front? We had him for 10 years. No, we just herded him in the building and talked to him, but nobody got close to him to find out how it was going and if we could help. How do you assess a situation? Because sometimes you approach somebody with the possibility of helping them and you find out they know more than you and so let's turn it around, man. I sit at your feet. And uh, I want you. I want to get with you. I want you to tell me some more about this. That sounds really good. So we're not necessarily approaching every situation like I'm supposed to do all the talking. We don't know what God has for us. And in just about every situation, we will also be equally learners. We're fellow pilgrims. But if I uh, can identify things where I might be able to be helpful to somebody... For the love of Christ, I should be willing to initiate doing that. Sometimes the church seems like a big orphanage and abandoned babies are everywhere. Now, if you walked out into a park around here or, dri or driving down Polar Road and there are those woods and you saw eight infants in just a pampers lying on the ground and crying, wouldn't that bother you? And yet we maybe have 300 abandoned babies in our church in their souls crying out, won't anybody help me? I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I'm dying inside. Doesn't anybody care? And who's going to do that? Our pastor works from dawn till dusk with all he's already got. He can't go and get next to each one of those 300 babies. Who's going to do it? It's got to be God's people. And tonight... I want to invite you to dream with me. I want to invite you to dream with me that God is going to use your life much more than you ever thought possible. And right now you're thinking, he's not talking about me. He's talking about all these other fine-looking Christians in this class. I snuck in here. I know I picked the wrong class. I want you to realize that God has a plan for you, and you are not here by accident. And there are some things that make you feel so lousy and weak and miserable and ignorant. And God says, that's exactly the main thing about you I like. 
and that's what I'm going to use. But because, because you've got those qualities, there are some other people that feel the exact same way, that if anybody else comes in, they'll be so intimidated. But you won't be intimidating. They'll say, if this person can even get it, then there's hope for me. And I'm not talking about seminary courses or getting some sort of a degree or being Reverend so-and-so. Not at all. Our third point is you were made to do this. You were made to do this. Dawson Trotman uh, gave a message, one of the few messages recorded by him is born to reproduce, that every person physically is born with the potential to reproduce themselves physically. As soon as a baby is born, what do they say? It's a boy or it's a girl. Immediately making reference to what role they will play in repopulating the planet. As soon as you are born, that's already obvious. And I believe that God has done the same thing spiritually. That you were born, you came into the kingdom of God with a God-given ability to reproduce yourself spiritually. And I wonder today, who is living for Jesus Christ because of your life today? Who are the people that you could name that God has used you to pass on uh, that blessing? But some people might say, oh, well, who are you to make disciples? <laughs> Isn't that arrogance? I mean, who do you think you are? Was it out of arrogance that you decided to have children? He said, I am so proud and arrogant. I am going to reproduce myself physically and they will look like me. And I will teach them about life. No, half the time they just show up and you didn't mean for them to yet. You know, It's not until you thought, oh, we are good. No, it, it just, God has made it that way. It's the most natural thing. Did you have to have some special degree Oh, they had not yet graduated from this institute on having children, so they could not have children. No, no, they had them anyway. Fifteen years old, knew nothing, still a child. But they had a child. Now they're the parent. You were born to reproduce. Physically, but you were also born to reproduce spiritually. Have you ever embraced that personally for your own life? Or even now, as I'm saying it, you're holding it off. Say, no, 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 not me, not me. He's not talking about me. God is talking about you. And in the physical realm, there are only three impediments that would keep a person from reproducing themselves. One is immaturity. They're three years old. I mean, come on. Uh, second is lack of intimacy with their spouse or the person of the opposite sex. And third, some illness or physical infirmity. There's just something in a fallen world, something that didn't work right. They wanted to. They couldn't. Same thing spiritually. There are three things that will keep you from bearing fruits, uh, reproducing yourself spiritually. One is, maybe you yesterday became a Christian. You just, you grow into it. It takes, it does take some time. And, and maybe you'll, as we talk about being a disciple, you realize, money, a little remedial training. That's fine. Great. That's all one step in the process. We don't say to somebody who's 15, well, I can't have a baby. I, I don't know how to do a checkbook yet. Okay. Well, learn to do a checkbook. But, you know, but don't think, well, I'll never be able to have a baby because when I was 15, I didn't know how to, 
balance a checkbook. Now you, a lot of times, when you have a child, that speeds up your growth process. You think, oh, I have to be the adult. Uh, I better get, I better hurry because the, they've sick the dogs on me. You know, I can hear the baying of the hounds. You know, as that child is growing up, and I have to stay ahead of them. Uh, so the first is uh, just spiritual immaturity. Second, lack of intimacy, not being close with Jesus Christ. Do you really walk with Him? Reproducing yourself spiritually flows out of your love relationship with Him because you're not passing on just truths or thoughts or doctrines or rituals. You're passing on a friendship. You're passing on a love relationship. And if you don't have it, you can't pass it on. And third, the illness or physical infirmity, that would be sin. If there's a besetting sin that you're not willing to deal with in your life, that will also produce sterility. You won't bear fruit like God meant. But reproducing your life is not a matter of spiritual gifting. You say, well, I don't have that gift. Do you have the gift of having physical children? Yes, you were born with it. Everybody was born with it. It's not a matter of special training. This is the way to have children. They seem to figure it out with or without classes on sexual education. You and I were born to reproduce. Now, when we think about this, about you beginning to dream about helping one other person in their walk with God, either come to know Christ or move a step along the way. Most, almost never do we have a situation where we, from the very beginning to the end, we would be the main person God would use. Often we have just one little part in it, a link in the chain. But as you think about that, a lot of times people uh, play dodgeball with God, and God throws the, the ball of truth, and we go, and it goes by. It doesn't hit me, you know. It says, oh, that doesn't reply to me. And in this area of making disciples or mentoring people in the basics, people say, well, they're, say they're young, and I mean, well, I'm, I, I mean, I, I look at these, look at all these people that are older than me. I mean, Chris back there, he'd say, look at all these gray hairs of wisdom in this class. I mean, who am I to make disciples? No, it's, uh, it's for the young. There's so many young people that that Chris and, and David are there. Hey, David, uh, they they're they're already meeting with guys there on campus at the University of South Carolina and passing it on to others. Well, there are others that are that are married that says, well, we're married, we don't have kids yet, but we're still kind of young, new at life, and we have to work on our marriage, we have to build a house, we have to get established in our profession. Well, what a great time to be influencing others for Christ. you got you got time, you don't have kids yet, then kids come. Oh, well, we can't do it now. I mean, we have kids, you know. It says, oh, oh, it's a wonderful time. doesn't get any better than that. When in the first ten years of the lives of your kids... They are so open. I'll never forget Walt quoting John 3.16 when he was two years old. It was just, it just make you melt right there on the floor. It's beautiful. And, and all that they can pick up, you're discipling those little lives. But also, because you have little kids, other people are attracted to you, and they have little kids, and the kids want to play. And there you are chatting with a mother who's at the end of her wits, and you have a chance to influence a life for Christ or to help uh, give some thoughts about what they might do so that their child doesn't beat your child up. <laughs> or you may be in a situation where you ended up single, either for your whole life or single again or whatever, and you think, oh, well, gee, none of this stuff applies to me. I'm just uh, trying to not be depressed. 
and uh, trying to have a vision for my life. And says, oh, oh, it's wonderful to be single. Paul says, oh, man, if we could all be single, that would be the greatest. He says, most people can't handle it. He says, but he says, I'm single. And let me tell you, when you are single, you can be completely devoted to the Lord. And you know what? You have the biggest demographic to work with of anybody. As far as emerging demographic, singles is where it's at. And to say, God, help me to lay aside my depression about my situation, accept what you have given me for right now, and we want to go for it. I don't know how many days, months, or years I have left, but I want to take a whole host of an adopted family to heaven. You have let me be single for this period of time to give my life away, just like Jesus did who was single, just like Paul did as he was single. Lord, help me to be to feel like I should be envied for my situation here. But then there are other people that are empty nesters and they think, oh, brother, all the kids left. It was kind of a trouble with them here. But now it's really quiet with them not here. And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And maybe I ought to buy a Ferrari. <laughs> what a wonderful time to be making disciples and mentoring people in the basics. Then there are other people that, that are they're 70, 80, 85, and they're thinking, man, I can't even hardly get across the room. What are you talking about? This is for these young youngsters. It's, oh, no. So many opportunities are open to seniors. Uh, there are situations where they can speak to a situation that nobody else can. And there's certain situations where they get that respect and they can get away with murder. They can come into a situation and they say, well, he's so old and sweet, you know, humor him. And you can just pour it out. You can be so much more direct because they just think, well, you know, just let it go. And you get that word in for Christ. And you say, and I'm going to be praying for you. And you've targeted people. And you're, you're ambitious, Lord. And, and when, you, when, I, when I move out of my house and I move into that, that evangelistic field of a retirement home or system, whatever they call it, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I am ready. I am loaded for bear. And you're going to give me people that I can touch for your name's sake. And then when I'm in the hospital, uh, the la I'm 85 years old, and I'm noticing the people come in and says, Lord, now that one's named Jane, and she always looks sad. Give me a moment to talk with her about her soul and let me touch a life for Christ. Don't you want at the end of your life to break the tape? To enter into heaven, I say, oh, wow, you know, at least it didn't hurt too much. You know that. <laughs> come on, let's be ambitious. Let's be ambitious. Well, let me close. Uh, Dr. Sangster once said, How will I feel on the judgment day if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and pride? Because we all have our excuses, don't we? What if all my excuses prove to be nothing more than, cowardices, than disguises of my cowardice and pride? 1 Corinthians 13 says, But now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What does faith have to say about this idea of passing on the baton? Faith says, God is with me. My Father is working. And I ask you tonight, how big is your God? Is He even big enough to use little old you? With all your limitations, with all your hang-ups, with all your uh, weakness and the ways you stumble? How big is your God? Faith says, God is so big, He can even use me to do this. Second, hope. Hope looks toward the future and sees something positive. Can you visualize God using you more than you ever thought possible? Are you willing tonight to give up on your small ambitions? 
Say, so, well, I just want to, I just want to have this, and I'm, you know, and maybe just not, not get too sick. And say, God's call is on my life. Do you hear it? Will you let Him do it? And third, love. Do you have a heart for people? Do those babies out in the woods crying bother you at all? And that you might be able to give a cup of cold water. Maybe it's not a big deal. And yet to that person, it'll mean everything. Because somebody took the time to ask the question, to learn a name, to offer to help in your own weak way. And God says, that is the channel of blessing that's going to raise up a whole new generation. Last story. The story is told of a coach and his basketball team. The stadium was hushed in suspense. It was a decisive game. The players on the home team were kind of discouraged. The situation was tense, and only the star player was playing a good game, and it wasn't enough. So the coach called a timeout and got the team together, and he had an idea. And he says, I want you to do something. Every time one of you makes a basket, I want you to point to the player that threw the pass to you, that made the assist, and I want you to yell out, you, you, you. I scored because you made that assist. The players weren't so sure about this, but they respected their coach, so they said, okay. The first three baskets were scored by the opposing team, but they kept playing. Soon, they scored a basket. To the surprise of the fans, the player who made the basket ran toward the person who had thrown in the pass, pointing at him and uh, yelling out enthusiastically, you, you, you. He told him, thanks for the assist. You deserve the credit. Up until that time, that player had made the pass, hasn't, hadn't been playing very well. But on receiving such a glowing commendation from the star player of the team, he was starting to feel pretty good. A few minutes later, they scored again, and the same celebration took place. The home team started playing better and better. The new strategy worked so well that soon the whole team was joining in. And so with every basket, the whole team would yell at the top of their lungs, you, you, you. All of a sudden, something completely unexpected happening. A player scored, and all the people watching from the stands jumped to their feet, and they pointed to the player <laughs> who made the assist and started yelling, you, you, you. A sense of victory came over the players. This phenomenon became a tradition in, uh, their, as they repeated, uh, that they repeated at all their games. The scene of thousands of men and women pointing to the players was etched in their memories. Let me ask you a question. Are you famous in heaven? Someday the heavens will open, and this scene will be repeated. When those doors open before you, when a huge multitude of men and women watch your arrival into heaven, how many people will stand to their feet and point to you? How many will yell, you, 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 I'm here because God used you to help me? How many uh, will say, there he is, that's the guy that reached out to me, and help me. God wants to use you. He really does. He really can. He's that big. And in the next number of weeks, we want to look at uh, how that might be. We're not going to present some simple little recipe. We're just going to give some thoughts. But this is what you rest in. You were made to do this. You were born to do this. And we got a little bit of time left on this earth to say, Lord, it takes a lot of faith, but you're so great, I'm starting to think maybe, just maybe, you could use me to touch a life for Christ. And if you want to, I'm ready. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, You've already told us that we need to pass the baton. The day is coming when everyone on this earth that's alive now will not be alive. And if Christ has not returned, a whole new generation will have risen. Will have arisen. Will they know God or not? Will the faith continue and many more come to know Christ or not? And Lord, you've placed it in our hands. And I pray that you would give us a wonderful time in the next number of weeks as we begin to explore this topic of how can we touch a life for Christ, not because we're anybody or anything, but because you put us on your hand like a glove to touch the world in love, even out of our weakness, limitations, you will make yourself strong and be a blessing to a future generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.